Yeah, go ahead. Hand those out, please. Thank you. We're starting. <laughs> Thank you. All right, everybody, welcome. Come on in, sit down, be quiet, and we will get started. And I was just kidding. No, really. So Eugene is handing out some notes. And those are the notes that we handed out two weeks ago. I'll explain that in a bit. We do have the notebooks. And I'll tell you why we're not handing out the notebooks until the end in just, just a bit. So welcome, everybody, to our evangelism class, Good Soil Evangelism. And it's been two weeks because last Sun, uh, Wednesday we had the snow day. So hopefully we won't get uh, snowed out for any more of the weeks. Otherwise, we won't have time to get everything done. But I think we will if we're able to meet each Wednesday for the rest of the, the semester. So it's been two weeks. Some of you have just joined the uh, class uh, this, this week. So welcome to those of you that are new to the class. And because of that, I am going to jump through uh, some of, as quickly as I can, what we looked at two weeks ago. So for those that were here, it'll be a reminder. You probably need that since it, was, since it was two weeks ago. And then, as I say, I'll explain why you have the notes instead of the notebooks in just a bit. You'll leave today with a notebook if you're, if you're registered for the class. So I, two weeks ago, asked the question, why evangelism? Why does God determine to use us in the process of getting His message, the gospel, to other people? Now, the gospel is good news. It's from a Greek word in your New Testament, euangelion. I mentioned two weeks ago that the angel part is where we get angel or messenger. And then that eu, E-U prefix means good or, or happy, like a eulogy or a euphemism. So that's where we get good news or good message from. It's the, the gospel. So euangelion uh, evangelist, then, just uh, transliterating that, evangelism is what we're looking to do. Uh, evangelism is the process of giving the gospel. An evangelist is somebody who does that. And so we're taking a class for the purpose of learning how to be uh, God's evangelists, to give the, uh, the gospel to, to others. But why does God involve us? You know, He could just go directly to anybody He wanted to but he's determined to use us in the process. Now, uh, I said two weeks ago, it's not stated as to why God has chosen to use us in this process uh, explicitly, but implicitly, everything in the Bible, as you just do a cursory reading through your Bible, you find that the purpose for which God ultimately does everything is for his own, his own glory. So it's for his own glory. Uh, the proximate reason might be something else, but the ultimate reason always goes back to uh, the display of God's, of God's character. Now, why do we then uh, train people in, in this? Why do we at this church take time, take a class like this to train people in it? Well, it's because a part of our church's mission statement is, uh, is to help people live, I'm quoting, live for His purpose. So we want to do three things, help people learn about God, love Him and others, live for His purpose. That live for His purpose piece includes us being God's instruments in getting His, His message out. And so we take time like this to, to go through training. Now why this particular material, the good soil? Uh, Keith Bass and I, Keith is our outreach uh, co coordinator, back in September we attended training uh, for this material. And uh, I was pleased with the material overall, 90% of it. It provides content. It deals with uh, important uh, 
some important issues uh, like gauging where someone is that you're talking to to give the message so that you know how to uh, take a, a next step, how to proceed with them. Uh, identifies the fact that people are different and they're at different stages. This is not a sales pitch kind of evangelistic uh, approach. It sees the connection between someone coming to Christ and then someone following Christ and, and growing in Christ. All of those are, are very important. So good soil evangelism. This class is going to equip you all, us, to share God's story of redemption chronologically. So about midway through, maybe two-thirds of the way through, we will start in another book. So you're going to get one notebook before you leave today, and then later in the semester you'll get this one. And this one is a, a book that goes chronologically through the entire story of the Bible from Genesis to, to Revelation in 40, in 40 different lessons. And it's a recommended way of presenting then the full story to, to someone. So we're going to learn how to make relational contacts, evaluate where people are in their view of God, their view of the world, and their knowledge of the gospel, and then uh, learn how to present Christ uh, accurately. So cover the story of the Bible, broken into, I said two weeks ago, into eight different major themes. Uh, and those eight themes could be broken down actually into just four. Uh, those four are God, humanity, uh, sin, uh, excuse me, Christ, and uh, response. So God, humanity, Christ, and then our response to that. But they have it in eight, and we'll see what those eight, eight are. Now, uh, two weeks ago, uh, I managed to offend three groups of people, apparently. Uh, one were the artists in the group. Because if you were here, you remember I said, I hate religious art. You guys remember that? So one of the, I like the material, but I don't really love religious art. I'm not a big religious art uh, guy, but anyway. But I didn't say I hate art. <laughs> I didn't say I hate artists, okay? But I did, get, I did get some question about that. I also said that this material wants you to play games. And I, and I, and I don't like playing games. But, you know, I don't hate all games and I don't hate game players. I'm just telling you, I don't, I don't like to play games, all right? And then, on a more serious note, that piece about, uh, that I just mentioned about God doing everything ultimately for His glory. I did get uh, a question about that. And it's a, it's a good question. Does that not make God conceited? I mean, it's all about God, and God says, look at me. Because His glory is the display of His character. And so God is saying, I do everything to display who I am. So does that, does that make God conceited? And the, answer, the short answer to that is yes. You know, conceit is bad for you. It's bad for me because we don't have anything to be conceited about. <laughs> but God has everything to be conceited about. If you think about it, there's nothing that God can aspire to higher than being God, right? What would it be? And if God is truly the way the Bible presents him as perfect, and good, and all of the attributes that it ascribes to him, if all of that is true, and it is, then the best thing that God could do for us is to display who he is. So, yes, God desires and deserves to have his character displayed in his world, and he endeavors in everything he does to see that happen, but it's also what's good for us, because God is indeed that, that magnificent. So I had a, a few questions come out of our our last uh, sessions together. Now we're going to get in, back into the notes and in just a, just a moment. But just understand, friends, that I emphasize God a lot in every class that we do. <laughs> because if you get God wrong, you get life wrong. I'll be saying this again Sunday in our second hour class uh, on Truth for Life. And we're going taking a doctrine at a time and teasing out what that doctrine means for our lives in that second hour. But those are doctrines related to God, His omnipresence, His omnipotence, His sovereignty, His holiness, all of that. 
If you get God wrong, you get life wrong. And if you get, if you get God wrong, you'll get evangelism wrong. If you don't understand that everything God does is for His glory, then you will adopt some sort of a man-centered approach to evangelism. It'll be about how well we do it, how slick we are in the presentation. And you're going to see as we go through this that that's, uh, that's, not, that's not what it is, that God Himself ultimately does the, does the work so that He gets this, this glory. All right, one last thing before we get into the notes, and that is a big congratulations to me. Because today is my 38th anniversary, wedding anniversary to my dear wife. And I say, okay, well, I was going to say, I was going to say it's, it's congratulations to me for landing Kim. It's condolences to Kim. <laughs> I mean, that's the deal. So, so quick story about that, true story that when we started this church 21 years ago, there was a young couple that had moved to this area for the young man to attend Detroit Baptist uh, Seminary. They helped us as part of our core group get this church started. The wife was from Alabama and she still had her Alabama accent. So when they came here, they had to do what you have to do when you relocate anywhere. You have to find a doctor and a dentist and all that. She found a dentist She's at the dentist, and the dental assistant says, hey, where's that accent from? Alabama. What brought you up here? My husband's going to a seminary. Which one? Well, that seminary is one from which I graduated, most of you know, and it's attached also to the high school from which I graduated, and my wife graduated. The dental assistant says, wait a minute, I graduated from that high school. (laughs) Then I may know your pastor. And so she gives my name, and she says, yes, I remember him. She didn't say anything else right away, which was good. <laughs> and then she says, so, and, and, and the gal from Alabama says, well, he married a gal that graduated from there, too. Her name's Kim. Do you know her maiden name? No, I can't remember. What is her maiden name? I can't remember. She's trying to She's describing Kim, what she looks like. And, and then finally the gal goes, Crawford? She says, yes, Kim Crawford. And the dental assistant says, Kim Crawford (laughs) married Kenny Brown? And she says it like six times. She just can't. (laughs) And so that story was relayed to Kim, and she was taking great delight, of course. And I said to her, you know, she was just surprised you were able to get me. So today's our... 38th. We were 22 when we got married, so you can do the math on that. Turn to page 6 in your notes. So one of the things that we need to deal with uh, as we go through this material is whether or not uh, evangelism is an event or a process. And the way we will see that we need to think about it is that conversion is an event. The moment at which someone receives Christ is an event at a point in time. But they get to that point through a process, and that's evangelism. So evangelism is a process. Conversion is an event. And much of the genius of this material is based upon this idea that we're engaged in a process with with people. So if you think about how you came to the Lord, assuming you have come to the Lord, or people you know who have come to the Lord, think about how they've done that. And there's been some process involved in their their life that led them up, up up to that point. I'll give you an illustration from my own life uh, and the Lord allowing me to be involved in bringing someone to Himself. Most of you know that before I was pastoring that I had a real job and I worked as a computer uh, consultant for 20 years, which 
took me for six months or a year to different places, which meant I was at a lot of different companies over those, those 20 years, met a lot of different people, which was great for me because I was also going to seminary at the time. When people learned that, they would come and ask me questions about the Bible, and it was just an open door to give the gospel. So one of the places that I had worked, I worked there for six months or so, went on to something else, and a couple years later, I found myself back at the same place. So I already knew a number of the people from that previous stint. But in the meantime, other people, of course, had been hired. And one of the guys that was new was a fellow named Gary Hinsman. Some of you know Gary from our, our church. He lives up north now, uh, so he's relocated. But he was one of the founding members of, of our church. But when I first met him, he was hostile toward me <laughs> and, toward the, and toward the gospel. Uh, he asked around in the department, hey, who's this new guy? And they said, oh, that's Ken. He wants to be a preacher. He's going to seminary. And, they, and, and Gary said, so he believes like the Bible's like literally true? And they said, yeah, yeah, he does. So he believes like Noah and the ark, like that, that happened? Yeah, yeah, he does. So he believes like Jonah and the big fish? Yeah, everything. He believes it all. God created the world in six days. Yeah, he believes all, all that. So Gary, who I don't know, comes over to my office, sits down, introduces himself, and he says, I hear you're a fundamentalist. I go, yeah. So you believe the Bible? And he went through the litany. I go, yeah, I believe all that. And it was just scorn from him. He couldn't, he couldn't believe it. Now, he had been in church his whole life, very faithful in a church, just a church that didn't believe the Bible. And there are such churches. They're called liberal, theologically liberal churches, and that's what he was in. That's what he's raised in his whole life. And so the following week, he comes back. He goes, well, what about? And so we talked about what, whatever his question was. And then the next week, he comes back, and we talk about what about. And, we talk, and this goes on for a year and a half that I'm there. And I leave, and over time, things start to get warmer, and we start to become friendly and, and all of that. And I've answered as many questions as I can, but I, I move on. A few years later, I'm at a company in Ann Arbor. They hired a new person, and who walks in but Gary? And Gary's carrying a Bible. And he says, remember all those talks? Said, yeah, I remember all those talks. He says, so I came, to, I came to Christ. And I had the privilege of baptizing him here. Now, that took years for that to happen. And a process for a person to go from hostile to the gospel to okay, maybe this is not as dumb as I thought it was. And then God doing some things in his circumstances to show him his need for Christ. And then here he is and uh, was part and instrumental of us planting this church. So every story is different, but the point is process and then a point of, point of conversion. So on page number six, I want to explain the... Good soil, E and D scale. You see on the left there, E and D means evangelism and discipleship. We are dealing with the evangelism piece. We're not going to get into the discipleship piece. We do that. We've got a whole discipleship thing at our church anyway. But remember, those of you that were here two weeks ago, you see on the left side there those three uh, verse references. And those are about uh, the good soil parable that Jesus gave. Thus, the name of this material, good soil, and what constitutes good soil. And for soil to bring forth a crop, to bring forth something that grows, it's going to have, to have the three things you see on the left. Understanding, embracing, and then walking with the Lord, retaining what it is that you've, what it is you've embraced. And so that's the idea. What we are looking to do is being involved in those first two in helping people understand and embrace that's the evangelism piece and then the retaining piece is is discipleship so that's the e and d now down at the bottom notice down at the bottom it says on the left human roles or human spiritual responses and then over on the right you see it says god's roles no okay well then look it up here it does <laughs> so all right, if it doesn't say it there and you have a pen, you can write, you can write it in there, okay? Uh, yeah, but don't go to page 7. If you go to page 7, and if you linger on page 7, you will be struck dead. 
That would be bad. That would be bad. So look on the screen, if you can read that down at the bottom. Human spiritual responses on the left, God's roles on, on the right. Now, what are those uh, roles and, and responses? Well, the first role from God is to give revelation. That is, to make known the truth of the gospel, the message of the gospel. And so he does that in Scripture. Uh, he also makes known his own existence and power, the Bible teaches, through creation and the fact that he is a God of laws and morality through the conscience that every person has. That's, that's all part of revelation. And then when someone is giving the gospel, you're giving the gospel to someone, I'm giving the gospel to Gary at work, then God is working on the heart of that person to create conviction so that the person sees that, yes, this is for me. I need this. And then God regenerates, makes alive. The end of, that's the point of conversion. So revelation, the content, the truth of the gospel, conviction, the person is coming to an understanding that I need this, and then regeneration, God grants them life, and they respond by, you see in the middle there, between the green and the gray, it says, repents and trusts Jesus. You guys see that? And it says that on your page too, right? I think, right? Yeah. So regeneration results in that. When God gives life, then the person does believe and the person does, does repent. Now in a discipleship, as they go on in walking with the Lord, that's what we call sanctification, growing in Christ. But what are our roles in the, in the middle? We're engaged in tilling the soil. And we're going to see some of the things on page 7 that Christy went through a little bit ago that tilling in involves. But we're tilling the soil, we're planting the seed of the gospel with, with the person. And then we're, we're making a call to the person to respond, to reap to see that the person does have an opportunity to repent and, and trust Christ. And then as they have done that, there'll be follow-up and, and so on. Okay? So those are, are God's, God's rules. Now if you turn to page 7, it is safe <laughs> to turn to page 7. And at the top of page 7, I think it says the vertical dimension. Yeah, and so you see that the whole orientation of this chart now, uh, more filled in, is going upward, you know, from the bottom up, so it is vertical, up and down. Uh, and starting from the bottom with our roles, with, with God's roles, and then the response that we're hoping to see from the, the individual. Now, we saw two weeks ago that that gray portion toward the bottom is all of where someone is before they come to Christ. And then after the seed sprouts, new life is given, they trust Christ, now they begin to grow, that's the green portion. And that gray portion, down at the very bottom where it says minus 12 all the way to minus 1, the idea there is someone is just moving closer to embracing. Someone's moving closer, warming up to the message of the gospel. They're learning more, they're receiving more, and through that whole process, you are in the middle there, tilling and planting and, and reaping. Now, you see the seven things that are involved in those three categories? That tilling involves uh, modeling love to the person and praying for them. That it involves challenging their worldview. We're going to see how you identify someone's worldview but you, you challenge that lovingly and gently. But that's all part of tilling, so that they're seeing that I need something different. And then you're, you're planting. You're starting to teach the gospel itself explicitly. And you see that asterisk. I mentioned that two weeks, two weeks ago. And that down at the bottom, the asterisk shows that there are eight uh, concepts. Those are the eight I was talking about earlier that we're going to go through. As part of the gospel message, you could reduce those to the four that I mentioned. 
And then, fourthly, you're not just teaching, but you're establishing that Jesus is central to all of this, the uniqueness of, of Christ. You're planting the, the gospel now. And then our hope and our prayer is that we get to this third stage, that there is, that there is reaping, that there are questions because the person is open. So they're asking questions you're able to clarify. You're able to personalize it. You need this. This is for you. God is calling you to trust Christ. And then, you know, seek to appropriately persuade, not manipulate, but persuade that this would be the best thing you could do in your entire life and for eternity uh, for you to come to Christ. So tilling and planting and, and reaping uh, is, the, is the idea. So it's, that's the, the vertical piece. Now, if you turn to page 8, And page H just got sort of a blank there, right, pretty much. And the idea there is for you to take what's on page 7 and think about the concepts that are involved in, in that scale. Just look at it, study it for a little bit, and let's just take just a few minutes to do that. You just look at it and then think about things that are represented in that vertical dimension of the E and D scale. Now, I'm gonna, I'll go through and read some that you can write down, but before I do that, anything jump out that you just say, you know, here's one of the things, observations that I make about this particular diagram. I mean, it's got a gray and a green portion, so very good for observing that. You know, observations about God's role, about our role, about the interaction between those. That's the idea. I'm catching you cold. I understand that. So, yes, Julie. Just um, that God has to be involved okay. in, the, in the working at the same time you are. Oh, very good. Excellent. Yeah. So this is, this is God at work, but it's us at work as well. And so there's a, a synergy going on here. God uses us, but without God at work, nothing happens. But the truth is, nothing happens if we don't obediently give the gospel either. God has called us to, to do that. So yeah, very good. Anything else? Let me give you, let me give you a few. Uh, there is a, a universal starting point for, for everybody, and that's down at the very bottom you know, minus 12, you've got the God vacuum. I talked about the God vacuum two weeks ago a little bit. But, but the idea is, look, people don't come into the world with God. So that's the universal starting point. Nobody comes into the world with a, relation, a spiritual relationship with God. That's the whole reason we need the gospel. Now, I said on Sunday morning in the sermon, if you were, if you were here, that... Uh, there's a sense in which everybody is God's child if what you mean by that is everybody is a creature made by the Creator. We are all His offspring, the Bible actually says. That's a quote. So God made everybody. But the Bible also teaches that everybody He made is separated from Him because of sin. So none of us comes into the world with a relationship with God. Quite the contrary, we come into the world separated from God. And so you call that the God vacuum uh, call that that we are estranged from God, separated from God. And that's because of sin and all of us inherit this, this sin nature. So that's one of the first observations to make. Universal starting point for everybody, we're all estranged from, from God. Here's, a, here's another one. As individuals respond to these spiritual truths, they move up from the negative scale, negative 12 down at the bottom, but then they finally get to, Lord willing, zero. When you get to zero negatives <laughs> about God and about Jesus, we're at conversion. And, and that's what we want. We want to get the person to the point that they say, this, I love this, I love God, and I love what he has, He's done for me. Here's a third one. God's revelation of truth to, to humanity and that conviction of the Holy Spirit those two things down at the bottom on the, on the right, 
they start very early in the process. And if you don't have those, you don't have evangelism. So you've got to start with truth, revelation. And you also have to have God working in the heart of this, in the heart of this person if it's going to, to move somewhere. Uh, here's another. People are, are most vulnerable to false beliefs when they seek to fill a personal void. If you, if you notice on the um, seeking to, to fill a personal void, that's minus nine. You guys see that? Well, when somebody's at that, they're, like, they're just, I'm empty. There's got to be more to life. That's a good thing in one sense because that now can be answered with truth. But the vulnerability is the next one, minus eight. They're vulnerable to whoever might come with an, an answer. And so people are most vulnerable to false beliefs. So it can be that desire for something more can be filled by truth. It can also be filled by, by error. Fifth one, the, obviously there are three levels to evangelism. We saw those tilling, planting, reaping. Three levels. Six, they go in, they go in order. You know, tilling, planting, and reaping. Reaping doesn't happen until you've tilled and you've planted. And we will need to be careful that we don't try to reap before we've actually tilled. And two weeks ago, I gave you an example of a guy that I met who some people ostensibly gave him the gospel. But then I talked to him two weeks later, and he says, I don't really know who Jesus is. So we haven't spent enough time to do some tilling and some planting in order to call the person to a relationship with, with God. All right, almost done. Here's a seventh one. The ministry activities of a believer with an unbeliever, the things that we do with an unbeliever at those lowest levels, at tilling, those are evangelism. So even though you may not be, even when you're tilling, you may not be at a point that you are presenting Christ directly to them yet. This is part of the evangelistic process, and it's an important part of the evangelistic process. So don't get ahead of yourself, and don't think that you have to get ahead of yourself. That is part of the evangelistic process, the tilling. And then a lot of other stuff, but I'll just give one more, since you've only got one more space left. Am I right? Okay. On this scale, notice there are seven tasks for us to in engage in. Persuasion, if properly and correctly timed, is an appropriate responsibility for us in the ministry of uh, evangelism. Uh, and that's one of those seven. So you guys see under tilling, planting, and reaping, you've got those, those seven things. All right, if you look at page 9 then. Now that's all... the vertical dimension. But take a look now at the top, and you don't see vertical, it's horizontal, correct? So now we want to talk about this horizontal dimension to how we evangelize somebody. Now vertical, remembers up and down. And the vertical piece is the minus 12 to the minus 1. Horizontal is side to side. And so you see at the top now, this scale has got another minus 12 to minus 1 going across the top, side to side. And in addition to that, there are squares all the way through that. So it's horizontal rather than, and then, than vertical. Now, the, the, the vertical piece, the piece that goes up and down, that's all about helping somebody understand, okay? You're trying to help somebody understand and ultimately embrace. So that up and down piece is you involved 
in trying to give the person what they need in order to understand. Because remember, they got to do three things. They got to understand, they got to embrace, and then retain. And we're trying to get them in evangelism to understand and embrace. So here you are in that up and down piece. You're trying to get them to, to understand. The horizontal piece at the top, going across, side to side, that's not understanding. That's receptivity or receiving. How receptive is the person? Are they receptive at a minus 12? That would have been Gary. He's a minus 12. He's not, he's not receptive. And he also doesn't understand much either. So if you were to put an X for Gary when I first met him, he is a minus 12 in terms of receptivity, and he's a minus 12 in terms of his understanding. So where would you put, which box would you put an X in? It would be the bottom, the very bottom left. He's a minus 12 on both, on both sides, okay? So you want to help people understand. That's what we're trying to do up and down. But then across the top, we're trying to gauge their receptivity. Is this person open? A little bit open? They want to talk? They don't? They don't want to talk? Now, the top right corner, so where the two minus ones are, and then you've got right above the one minus one and to the right of the other minus one, just that, spit, that corner right there. If you get, when you get the person there, they're receptive and they understand. What's that mean? They become a Christian, right? And so that's, that's, where, you, that's where you want to get the person. You want them to understand take the time necessary for that to happen, but also you are engaging them on a personal level, person to person, friend to friend, showing your love to them, showing your care for them, gaining credibility with them, also that they are becoming increasingly receptive because they're getting answers, they're seeing you actually live this out in your life, they're seeing that, you know, this is better than my life. That what you have going on, remember what I said, if you don't get God right, you don't get life right. And so you're talking to someone who hasn't gotten God right. And if you have, and you're living accordingly, then you can share that with somebody and somebody says, there's something there I don't have. I'm becoming increasingly receptive now. To, to this. And both of those then converge at that corner in repentance and, and trust. So think of somebody. We're not looking for, we're not looking for you anybody to give a name, but just think of somebody that you know that doesn't know the Lord right now. That God has brought into your life a relative, a co-worker, a neighbor, a friend, and then think about where they are on this scale. How much do they understand? How receptive are they? Because where they are on this scale is going to determine how you approach them. You know, what do they understand now? What do they still need to understand? How open are they? What do I need to do? in order to help them take the next step toward more, more openness. So just take a couple minutes, think about that, and then put an X somewhere on there for somebody that you know. So this is a point to introduce a couple, of ki a couple of categories of evangelism. All evangelism involves everything that we've talked about so far. But some evangelism takes place in just an initial contact. 
Every now and then, God will open a door for you to meet somebody and you get a chance to talk to them like right there. There's no long, drawn-out process. There's no co-worker like I had, and so week after week after week, this goes on. In my experience, that's most common, but it is not unheard of at all for, you, for God to open a door, for somebody to come into your sphere, and for a door to open for you to give the gospel right then. So that's called initial contact evangelism. Now, if you make all evangelism initial contact evangelism, meaning everybody you come up to that you don't know, and you beat them over the head with your Bible. Back when I was a kid, everyone carried a big Bible, so it hurt when you, <laughs> when you beat them with the Bible. But people feel like they're being beaten up, and they're accosted, and you haven't even really gotten to know them. So you don't want that to be your go-to approach, but if God opens the door for that, then you want to be ready to give the gospel to somebody. Initial contact evangelism. Now, where would somebody like that fit that would be appropriate for initial contact evangelism? It's if you had somebody who's in the upper right portion of this matrix here. So somewhere in the, you know, minus two on each side. You've got an X up, up there because they have a high level of understanding and they have a, a high level of receptivity as well. So they're willing to talk. They want to talk. And they either had understanding coming in or they're willing to let you take time to give them understanding. But either way, it would be somebody in that upper right-hand portion of the, of the matrix. So that would be initial contact evangelism. My wife had this happen just within the last couple of weeks. And she was somewhere, and I forget where it was. It was like a, do a doctor's office of some sort, I think. But the uh, gal says to her, she says, you have very, and I think the word she used was loving eyes. Gal says that to Kim. And she also said, uh, uh, and very pretty eyes as well. And I told Kim, you know, one out of two. No, I'm... That's the last thing I remember uh, saying. <laughs> but Kim, uh, Kim seized on that. And she said, you know, the only, no, no, that, it was honest eyes. That's what it was. You have very honest eyes. That's why I said one out of two. <laughs> she said, you have very honest eyes and pretty eyes. And Kim said, you know, the only thing that makes me honest is Jesus. She just takes the opportunity to say that. And the gal says, oh, really? <laughs> and so it gave her an opportunity now. But the gal opened the door by saying, you have honest eyes. And Kim is praying regularly for opportunities. And so she says, hey, that points to Jesus. I don't get any credit for being particularly great. It's because he's great. And it gives her an opportunity to tell her she's a, a Christian. So that's initial contact evangelism. You know, that's somebody opens a door for you, and then you get an opportunity to, to give, or they already know. But that's not most of the time. Most of the time, it's a second category, and that's relational evangelism. Relational. So instead of initial contact, it's relational evangelism. So let's think about your person then. You put an X somewhere on here, presumably. So what does your person need given where they, what do they most need given where they are? If they're low on understanding, so if their X is somewhere down toward the bottom, vertically, down at the bottom, if they're somewhere low on that, then they need more truth. If they're low in understanding. So you know I need to take more time to give them more truth. Whatever amount of time that is.
if they're low on receptivity, meaning they're far to the left. So they're not warm to the idea. They don't, op they don't open up to conversations. They change the subject when you try to bring it up. So they're, they're low on that. What do they need? They, they don't need necessarily more truth. In fact, somebody, you may have given them a ton of truth. They may be really high, but way to the left. So they don't need more truth. What, what, what might they need? What word would you put in there? More, more love. More relationship. Just keep loving the person. Keep being there for the person. Keep showing the person that you're genuine in your love for them. And so let me stop and ask you a question then about that. You know, if you come to a class like this and you're wanting to be an evangelist and you're looking at the relationships that God opens up for you as opportunities to give the gospel, can you see how that, if you're not careful, how that can go south? How? How, how could it go south? Some of you are nodding your head. What, what, could, what, could be, what problem could develop with that? Some of you guys nodded your head. Yes, Carolyn? Not paying attention to where that person is. Are they taking the subject for that? Yeah, so, you know, you could try to rush the process. Yeah, yeah exactly. You could, right? What else? I mean, you know, the person, let's say the person's not receptive. They're way over on the left. So do you ditch them? Yeah. You, so it is something you have to grapple with, and that is, hey, if somebody's not receptive, being long-suffering and persevering is important, especially if this is somebody like a family member that God has in your circle of influence. Now, if it's a fleeting relationship, somebody who's going to be here for a period of time and then they're gone, and you've moved apart, that's one thing. But if it's somebody that's in, in your family, somebody that's your neighbor, somebody that's your coworker, somebody that you're going to be with on, on a regular basis, and you want to see them move forward in receptivity, but what if they don't? Are you still their friend? And the answer should be yes. But it is a problem because we understandably want so much to see people come to the Lord. So we say, hey, it doesn't look like you're going to do it. And so, you know, it was nice knowing you. But you still work with them, but now you're sort of giving your attention to, to other people. And they see that. And so they see that your friendship with them was actually a mercenary activity. that you were just engaged until you, you find out and then you move on. Listen, we value that person because they're made in the image of God. One. Two, you don't know when God is going to work in that person's life to move from minus 10 to minus 1. Think about what could happen in a relationship like that. You've been at a minus 10 for a year. And they change the subject and they don't, they're not interested. But it goes from minus 10 to minus 1 really quickly. What kind of thing could make that happen? A crisis. Did you say a crisis? Who said crisis? Thank you. Yeah, a crisis of some sort. Now, we're not praying. We don't want something bad to happen to the person. That's not, that's not the point. But in a fallen world, things happen. And God has brought you into this person's life and you have consistently shown love to that person. And then something does happen and all of a sudden, this thing that they were not interested in, they're all of a sudden really interested in. They're in the hospital because they got in a car accident. And you may be the very person they call on. Or something else has happened in, happened in their life. I have had this happen. I've had it happen at work where somebody's, they lost their job. They got fired. And over time, I've been trying to, and not, not a whole lot of receptivity, but now they have a crisis. In this case, I'm losing my job. Well, how do, I deal, how do I deal with this? What do I do? And they've seen you go through crises, perhaps, 
and you're able to handle those crises with what the Bible calls the peace that transcends all understanding. All right, what's the deal with you? I'm in a crisis. How do, how do I get, give me some of that. And then you get a chance to talk about it, okay? So you stay with it, even if the person is not receptive, if you are in a binding relationship. It's something where we're going to be together as neighbors, as family, as co-workers, and I love you simply because of who you are. And I don't know what's going to become of this relationship, and if you come to Christ, I'll praise God for that. If you don't, I still value you as a person. Otherwise, you look like this mercenary who's simply putting your time in and then moving on to the next, the next person. All right, take a look at page 10. So here you've got on that upper left side of the line, you've got the initial contact approach. So you establish an initial contact through an unexpected or a planned in encounter. You know, something might just come up like it did with Kim and she gets a chance to say that and then see where it goes. Um, you know, you might uh, have somebody that you just recently met and you say, hey, you want to get coffee? And then when you, when you get coffee, you plan this encounter. But when you get coffee, the Lord opens the door for you to say, What'd you do this past weekend? They tell you what you did. They say, so you, what'd you do? And you say, you know, I spent the whole weekend at church. And they go, you are a religious nut? I didn't know I was having coffee with a religious nut. But it, op but it opens the door for you, you know, to, to talk to them. And you're able to share the gospel in its entirety and encourage the person to trust Christ. So you just have some sort of an encounter where it all happens then. No, it doesn't mean they do respond, and so then that's the next portion. Refocus evangelistic communication depending upon their, their response. So if this is a person I'm going to be able to see some more, I want to then evaluate, okay, how warm are they? Where are they on that scale? And then refocus accordingly. And then next, continue contacts as much as you are able. Continue to focus on overcoming points of resistance, proclaim and teach the gospel with ongoing appeals for a faith response. But that's just something that sort of came up. And then if you have the opportunity for it to continue, then use it that way. That's not usually how it happens, but sometimes happens that way. So be open to that. But then there is the uh, bottom portion. And the bottom portion you establish this initial contact, again, but you develop a friendship, a relationship. This is relational evangelism. You've got recurring contact with the person. You sow seeds by appropriately introducing spiritual issues. Now, let me just stop there. How might you, how might you do that? How might you introduce the, the gospel sow gospel seeds by appropriately introducing spiritual issues. We're going to talk about how to get a conversation started next week. But just right now, how do you, how would you do that? Yeah. Offer to pray for them. For okay, okay. Have you ever met anybody who doesn't want to be prayed for? Right? So they've got something going on. You say, hey, is it okay if I pray for that? I literally have never heard anybody go, nah, <laughs> I'll skip that. So yeah, I would appreciate that. And then if you do pray for them, follow up. Hey, how did that thing go? So they, they know you're a praying person. No. Uh, and they've got something for you to pray. So very good. Yeah. Uh, what else? Yes. Yes. You know, we were talking earlier about how God can move somebody from a minus 12 or a minus 10 to a minus 2 pretty quickly with their circumstances. Guess what? Christians and non-Christians all live in the same fallen world. And we all have difficulties. And so share some of your experiences, including the difficulties. And including how tough it was. But then, you know, thank God he sent some people into my life. He sent some truth into my life at, right at the time I needed it. 
you know, and you kind of give your testimony to that. And every person in a fallen world can identify with living with difficulties. But they know how they handled it or didn't versus how you're telling them, right? So you're, you're sowing gospel seeds, introducing spiritual issues. Continue to share more of the gospel in a loving and factual manner. You know, so now you're looking forward, and this is over time, it's relational evangelism, but not just pointing to how you were able to, how you handled a situation, but now starting to point to who made that possible. Being more explicit about Jesus, about the Lord. You know, I could not have gotten through that alone. It was not just because, you know, I took a class on how to handle crises. It was because God held my hand through all of that. It's because a loving God who I believe loves me infinitely and died on the cross for me. That's what proves it to me. Uh, helped me, helped me through it. So now you're being explicit about that. That's what that's saying. And then share the gospel. Now notice it says, share the gospel in its entirety in a ripe opportunity and encourage a faith response. Do you notice it's in bold? And it's exactly the same as over on the other side down at the bottom. But the difference is in the initial contact approach versus the relational evangelism approach, you're, tr you're getting to the same thing. Share the gospel in its entirety and seek response from the person but it's where that is in the process. Relational evangelism is a long-term process. It is indeed a process. But the initial contact evangelism, that happens uh, right up front. It's more unusual. This is the more typical. And then the person may respond positively. They may not. Depending, you continue to proclaim and teach the gospel with ongoing appeals for a faith response. All right, take a look at page 11 then. And you've got both of them there. And you'll get opportunity over time for both, both types. But the one on the bottom is the most, the most common. All right, I told you guys you have these notes, and that's the last of your notes, right? And I told you I would explain why that is and why we haven't given you your notebook. Some of you are mad that you don't have your notebook. So as you leave, you can get your notebook. They're right there. The reason I didn't give out the notebooks is because I don't think everybody has registered. And so, before you take a notebook, you either need to have registered or you are sure that you're going to be taking this class. If you're not sure you're taking the class, don't take a notebook. I was happy to give you five sheets of paper. <laughs> but we're too stingy to give you a full notebook. And I mentioned two weeks ago that, yeah, in fact, uh, and, and we're happy for everybody to take one if you're going to use it. We want you to, obviously. If you think you're going to be coming back, then as you leave, take one. But those notebooks, believe it or not, are 25 bucks. You order them in bulk like we did, uh, so they were 18. So I ordered 40 initially, $18. Ordered 10 more. Since it was only 10, it wasn't an $18 discount, it was 20. So these were 18 and, and 20. So what it means is that that's why we want to make sure you're actually taking the class, okay? And if you're not, we'll save any leftovers for next time we do the, do the class. So please, everybody who's planning on taking the class, take a, take a notebook. Here's the other thing. If you lose your notebook, <laughs> you're ca you are cast into outer darkness <laughs> where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, okay? No, it, it costs you like 20 bucks. They're, they're actually 25. Um, so 20, 20 will be fine. But you'll actually have to pay for your next one, okay? That's all, all I'm telling you. So guard it with your life. Thank you guys for coming. And pick up your book if you're planning on coming back next week, okay? Thanks.